An Edmonton uh, goalie conversation is always a big one, and uh, it will be again this off season as we're uh, we're officially now into the uh, off season with uh, you know the qualifying round. There's 15 teams out, and uh, we're getting closer to uh, eliminating eight more. And uh, you'll be looking at uh, free agent goaltenders. It's a flat cap, so obviously that'll be a concern. But here's my question: Jack Campbell, what do you? How good of a backup is he? Ooh. He was so good with uh, the Kings a couple of years ago and kind of average in Toronto now. Like, not – it's got to be the right fit, um, both for for him as sort of his personality and in terms of a goalie coach. And, you know, I, I think there's still upside there because we did see it with the Kings, but I'd be hesitant. I'd see him more in a backup role as opposed to a pure 1B. And maybe that's not fair. Because he okay. is a little bit of a rhythm goalie, you know what I mean? Like, got, he, he plays a little more sort of movement and feel. And Alex Stalock's not a fair comparison, but I make it just because he's that type of goalie. Anton Hudobin, where they're going to be better the more they play. And so putting them into, you know, an every two week situation, you might not see their best. So, and yet, the, there's just not enough track record in my mind that you can make that commitment to him as a 1B and say, I'm going to play him like 30, 35 games. He's only done it and had success sort of one year. So it's a real tough one. Uh, I think you'd want to take a look at numbers and the types of chances that he succeeds against and have a little deeper dive there and see if they match the types of chances your team gives up. Because for whatever reason, um, the success he had in one place didn't translate to another. I, he's obviously better than he showed with the Dallas Stars. He's an NHL goaltender. But I'm not sure I'd be willing to commit, you know, a 35-game role to him. And, frankly, that's what you need out of your backups now. Oh, 100%. All right, so, you know, you look at a guy like Hudobin right, in Dallas. When you've got that much money in Bishop already locked up, he's got a few more years left. And, you know, Dallas is an interesting uh, situation. If they win the series in Hudobin, like, his value probably goes up. If they lose the series, maybe his value's down. Now, he'll be he's 34 years of age. You know, so let's say I'm hearing he's looking for for three years at around three point three million dollars. You think he's worth it? Oh, again, that's. I mean, what does that look like three years from now? To me, Hudobin was a perfect fit in Dallas, and we talked about this at the time because he's a guy who will be better if you play him a lot, but has still found a way to be pretty good playing every couple weeks. Like he'll be better if you play him for two weeks straight, but he doesn't completely fall off a cliff if he needs to go two weeks without. And when, with the Stars, you knew you were going to need to play him and play him a lot because Ben Bishop never makes it through a year healthy. So um, he's a perfect fit there. The third year would scare me, to be honest, Jason, just because of the age. Um, but I would never count that. Like He's not a guy you break down real easy. Like you know, Frankly, he looks like an unmade bed when he plays goal. He's kind of like Tim Thomas, right? Gears everywhere. He's everywhere. A lot of sort of reactionary elements to his game and yet he has enough experience sort of in both roles and he's a guy you can hand the ball to and you know count on getting high quality goaltending from almost to the point of a number one maybe not 60 games but you can play him a lot so there's a lot of upside there but don't think that there is Let's sign him in Edmonton, and he's going to lead the league in save percentage for a second straight year, 930 save percentage upside, because that's behind the Dallas Stars system, and that's one of the more goalie-friendly environments in the entire league. 
Kevin Woodley from Ingo Magazine and uh, NHL.com uh, joins us. Uh, Kev, uh, Matt Murray is. Is he a, a starter still in your mind, like a guaranteed number one, or is he more a platoon guy? And is he better as a platoon guy, or how much do you have to be concerned about his injuries? You know, it's funny because with Matt, I I kind of almost throw this back to Marc-Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh. And they wanted to run Marc-Andre Fleury out of Pittsburgh several years before they did, before him and Matt combined on a couple cuts, cups, frankly. And the, the question I asked then was, if you're the Penguins, do you feel like this is the best you're going to get out of him. Like, like you, you've given him a chance to make changes because his game was all over the place back then. Or do you feel like bringing in a different voice could make Mark Marc Andre Fleury better again? They brought in Mike Bales. He rediscovered his game. I think Matt Murray's already started an adjustment that he has to make to stay in the NHL, and that might take a little time. But he might have to sort of – I mean, he's an RFA this summer. I'm not sure what the ask is going to be. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think he has arbitration rights. Um, again, I, I'd put him on a prove-it deal, and I think he could still prove it. Um, we've talked before about how the game's become so east-west and how goaltenders can't get locked in low and wide prematurely because you can't move when you're like that. Matt Murray had a lot of his success those two years in Pittsburgh playing low and wide. And as the game got more dynamic left to right – he couldn't keep up. So you saw him this year start to narrow his stance about halfway through the season. And he had a good little run there. Wasn't able to sort of maintain it in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, the things he brings in terms of, you know, the, the, we saw the mental strength and the ability to sort of be unfazed. Like, there's a lot of positives um, that Matt Murray has in his game. I just think there's some technical adjustments. The fact he seemed willing to make them, the fact he sought out Adam Francilia as an off-ice trainer already, uh, during the pause to sort of rebuild his body to support a narrower stance and that type of movement, those are all positive. So I'm not ready to write him off like I think half the city of Pittsburgh is. Um, but until we see whether he can long-term make those types of adjustments to be comfortable with them and sustain them, I, I, again, I'd be again. it kind of goes back to, like, they'll take my union card away for this, my goalie union card, but I'm just avoiding term on all these guys, frankly. Because yeah. it, Matt Murray's a perfect example, right? Like, like he was Ken Dryden, right? Like, that was the comparison that was being made. And Matt Murray didn't get worse. The game changed. And his style no longer fit it. So if that's not the ultimate lesson in do not overcommit term on any of these guys, I, I don't know what is. Because it's not like he got worse. The game just changed, and he hasn't quite yet. Kevin Woodley from uh, Ingold Magazine and NHL.com joins us. So, you know, and that's a fascinating point because I believe, honestly, Kevin, for, for a lot of players, there's only certain players I'd go any term longer than than, than four years and, and really longer than three, like elite guys, McDavid, Drysdale, younger players, sure. But anybody a little bit older, I'd be because I think if you're a 29-year-old player, the game in three years can change and your style of play as a certain type of defenseman can, can be obsolete almost by the time that contract's done if it's too long. So I, I like the thinking of, hey, sign Matt Murray, but you might only give him a year. Now he's, he's, got a, he's an RFA for one more year, then he's a UFA, right? So it's a little bit of a risk because, geez, if he bounces back and has a good year, but with the flat cap, I think that risk is, is mitigated a little bit because there's less chance if a guy has a good year that he's going to cash in in the summer because there's just less free agency money to be spent. 
Yeah, no, I just think there's going to be a ton of options. Like, this is already going to be a buyer's market for goaltending this summer, and the flat cap even more so, right? Like, the Rangers have to make a decision. Um, they might not be able to move Henrik Lundqvist, even if they eat half of his $8.5 million salary for next season. And that means Alexander Georgiev has to go. Um, you know, look at, look at St. Louis. I mean, we're just talking about, you know, cup-winning goaltenders who aren't in net. Um, Jake Allen is playing really well, has played really well in a limited role all season. Um, wow. Bennington, when you adjust the numbers, this is not a sophomore slump. When you adjust the numbers, he's a top five, top, top six guy during the regular season this year. For whatever reason, he hasn't looked like that guy in the playoffs. And Jake Allen's able to step in and sort of look more like the guy he was all season long, and that's a positive for the Blues. Can they afford both of them next year? I mean, combined, they're around eight. Um, but, like, is, is Jake Allen a guy who, who might be on the move, who you might be able to get at a reasonable ticket? Because I've said for years I thought he was a good goalie. I couldn't understand why it had to be between the ears. He'd just go on these, like, prolonged funks in the middle of a season. But all the skill set is there, and he's showing that right now. So I, I just think there's, you know, like – and then you've got unrestricted free agency and the Jacob Markstroms and the Braden Holtbys and a lot of, you know, a lot of big names that are going to hit the market. Robin Lehner. Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously under contract, but what happens if they decide they want to re-sign later? Like, there are so many question marks. And then you've got guys coming over from Russia that are taking seats. Ilya Sorokin is going to take a seat with the New York Islanders. That means Thomas Grice doesn't have a place to play next year. Like, the musical chairs is going to be crazy. And I think if you're a smart buyer, you can get a bargain and a hell of a goalie. Kev, it's great. That's a perfect transition because I wanted to talk to you about Thomas Grice because I look at the orders and they've got Koskinen at four point five, right? So he's kind of, he's not a he's not a, a guaranteed starter, but he's kind of a guy who who needs somebody to go split duties with him. Thomas Grice to me would seem like that guy, but how much of Grice's success is based on the system in front of him or his own play? Well, I think you always have to, when you're talking about a Barry Trotz coach team, like, I, you know, I talked about Dallas Stars and, and Anton Zudobin, I think he's, you know, um, there's, it's goalie friendly. There, there's no question. I mean, can I put a number on how much it affected it? I probably could, actually, to be honest with you. I have my computer in front of me, but you guys can hear by the traffic going by. I've, you've caught me on a, making a pit stop on a family road trip to Tofino today, so I don't have the laptop out. Um to just quantify just how much it is Barry Trotz's system. But I'm pretty, I think we went through this exercise a couple of months ago with Grice and looked at, and maybe this will be homework for me next week to go back and dig up the, those stats I had, because I, I went and looked at the specific types of situations, not just save percentage and how much of it is the Islanders' defense, but more specifically, where does he have success? And where are his weaknesses? Um, is he good on the rush? Is he good on end zone play? And then compare them to what the Oilers give up. And I think the one thing with the Islanders is they don't give up rush chances. They chip and chase. They dump yes. it in. They do not turn pucks over in the neutral zone that lead to odd man rushes the other way. Um, so that would be, you know, a question mark. The Oilers, off the top of my head, feel like a team that gives up a fair bit of those. So, um, can Grice make that adjustment? What do his numbers look like compared to that? But I, I seem to remember doing this sort of homework assignment before for us, Jason, and and sort of being pleasantly, either pleasantly surprised or like buyer beware. It was an extremely other way to say that what the Oilers are willing to give up either really matched Grice well or really didn't. So I'll come up with an answer on which side of that scale is by next week. But I think that's what teams need to do too, right? It's not just like, 
hey, yeah, this guy played it behind a defensive system, so we think he'll be okay here because we play good defense. Like, it really is. You can get granular with it. How does this guy succeed in this type of scoring chance? Do we give up that type of scoring chance most? If all, it's, it's, to me, it's Roberto Luongo. Luongo in Vancouver, in his prime, was one of the best end zone goaltenders in the league. But on rush chances, he wasn't a great skater. I mean, we could all see that. Those size 13 skates, it was like turning a canoe, right? Like, it was not fast. So if you traded rush chances, that was where he was at his weakest. And so when he got traded to Florida, it was like they were sort of a rush trading team. And it's like, ah, this is going to be a tough fit. He was a guy that throughout his career, I'd be like, if he, as good as he is, a Hall of Famer, if you are going to be a team that trades rush chances, don't sign Roberto Luongo because that's not his strength. And I do think that we have the ability now. Maybe it's still not perfect. It isn't. It's, it's definitely still not perfect. But certainly more than ever before to dig through with some level of confidence the types of chances and see if a goalie matches the system before committing millions of dollars and years of commitment to a specific guy. And I'm sure the teams must have the same. I hope so. Uh, Kevin Woodley from Ingo Magazine and NHL.com. Kev, great stuff as always, man. It's going to be a fascinating uh, goalie carousel this coming offseason. I think the order's got to be front and center uh, in it for sure. So uh, it'll be uh, interesting well, I... to see once we get into uh, to uh, late, I guess, uh, October, or sorry, late September into October when free agency begins. Well, I mean, I mean before then, we got a goalie, we got goalie carousel going on all around the league in the playoffs, too. It's been fascinating to me. And we can get into it a bit more next week because I'm curious. There's a few big decisions coming up here. Fascinating to see how teams are handling these back-to-backs. And like you said, Carolina, Bennington not playing the other night. It's just a, it's a unique playoff year, and there are some really unique goaltending storylines that are kind of being carved out through this. And, and like I said, a guy like Jake Allen could, you know, could all of a sudden become a hot commodity this, this summer as opposed to something the Blues were like, geez, what are we going to do with both these guys? So it's fascinating to see, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it all plays out both in the next week and over the next couple of months of free agency. Thanks, Kev. We'll chat with you next Monday. Perfect. Thanks, guys.